if, if I could go back and change anything about, you know, how I started out, I would probably try and prioritize working with other designers um, on larger teams and focus on learning from more senior design folks, because I think it would have really accelerated my learning and um, my growth. Hello, friends. My name is Kirill, and you're listening to my UX career podcast. On this podcast, I'm sharing my personal thoughts on how to start a career path in UX, how to grow your skills and become a better designer. Also, I have conversations with other designers and design leaders trying to show that there are many different perspectives and opinions on the key questions about UX career. So if you're a UX designer or considering becoming one, this podcast will get you better prepared for finding a job in UX. Opinions expressed on this podcast are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views of my current or previous employers. And don't forget, this is just one human's point of view. Today I have another episode from the Q&A with Design Manager series, and I'm talking to Sarah McVean. Sarah is a senior UX professional with a lot of experience in designing products, managing teams, and now she's also teaching a course at a bootcamp. We talk about building relationships on social media, volunteering and partnering with other people to work on projects for your portfolio, what you should show in your case studies and resume, the importance of cover letters, and some insights about working with recruiters to hire designers, and obviously, many more topics on UX career. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Also, if you're interested in UX career insights and um, some key learnings from my experience, uh, you can sign up for my newsletter about UX career. Uh, go to newsletter.uxcareer.co. Now, back to the episode. Hey, Sarah. Thank you for joining me. And uh, thanks for being willing to participate in this initiative. Thanks for having me, Carol. You are currently uh, teaching at Brain Station. That's correct. Uh, would you be able to share a bit more about the role there? Like, what exactly does it look like? And uh, what have you done before that? Sure. So um, I've been teaching at BrainStation on and off for about two years. Um, I teach UX, UI, and design thinking courses. So I've taught a blend of um, accelerated programs that uh, students will come in from Monday to Friday full-time for a few weeks um, to part-time courses. So professionals who are working during the day, they can take a 10-week UX or UI class, which is also an accelerated format um, to accommodate their their professional uh, workload. And um, I essentially teach UX and UI skills and process to students in a classroom environment. Um, We go through tech... modern day curriculum and real professional, real world experiences to help students understand um, some of the skills that are key in terms of finding employment, creating real world projects, and then having expectations around um, what employers like myself, having previously been a manager, would expect to see in projects and portfolios. So we help the students create a project that they can use for their portfolio or to create a real world project for them to be able to um, shift out into the real world themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think it's it's a super valuable connection between being a hire manager before and also teaching right now yes. and basically you can if you can share all those learnings uh, from your experience being a manager which is i think super valuable yes 
Um, talking about like the the origin story, how did you get into UX? Uh, what maybe is like any pivoting moment that you can recall? Like what was really the rationale behind this decision? Um, well, <laughs> I was always really interested in uh, art and creativity when I was in school. It was like my most passionate subject when I was in high school. And um, I was I had graduated from high school and I was essentially a bike courier for a few years. I really liked that job uh, because it allowed me to be outdoors. But I had a friend who whose brother started working at an agency and started creating websites for an agency back in I think it was maybe 1980, 1998 or 1999, um, so a very long time ago. And I started developing an interest as a way to be creative, as well, also make a living. Like I hadn't decided on what my profession was going to be yet. So uh, I took a course called Multimedia Design and Communications um, back in 2000 and graduated with a diploma. So it was very much of a, it wasn't quite a boot camp style school, but it was a one year accelerated diploma where I learned about graphic design, uh, motion design, as well as website design. Um, and so from there, I started working at an agency. I was lucky to um, land a job out, out of school working as a designer and HTML programmer in an agency back in the early 2000s. Um, so I started out my career a very long time ago and spent uh, my first eight years working in agency environments as well as freelance service, um, doing mostly website design, but also graphic and some motion design. And then in 2008, I moved into product where I uh, started working for a mobile app startup called Point. Um, this was in 2008, and it was uh, my first foray into product and website design. So I've kind of had a blend of um, experiences between marketing design and product design since then. But I started working in UI and mobile apps for iOS and Android. And that's where my focus was for several years. Um, until I moved into um, the enterprise market in about 2015. Um, so typically my role has been to be a lead designer uh, in a smaller design team and lead many initiatives, whether it be internal products um, and services, external facing apps and, uh, and software, as well as website designs and, and branding and marketing design. So I've been through a wide range of um, industries and um, different types of products as well. Mm -hmm. So having a diverse background, uh, I'm sure it definitely helps you uh, with your uh, current position and especially teaching others uh, how to, to, to be a good designer. Yes. I'm curious if you, if you can share something like what things uh, you wish you knew uh, if you were starting today? Like what, what kind of, I guess, nuggets of wisdom can you share so people can keep in mind who are just starting today. Sure, I can go into that. I, have, I think I have a few things. Um, so basically, because of my background, as you mentioned, there has been many shifts in the market. I've seen design kind of gone from a very small focus or a small investment in companies to obviously now today where companies are much more heavily invested in design and user experience. Um, so I think starting out in that market when I did, and you know, obviously it's quite different now, but when I started out, I was always either by myself or with maybe one other designer and a very small team. And because of that, I was always learning things on my own through trial and error. 
um, versus having that really strong collaborative like learning environment that you know I think designers like today have, um, where they can really learn with other from other designers as well as like strong design leaders. And so, if if I could go back and change anything about you know how I started out, I would probably try and prioritize working with other designers um, on larger teams and focus on learning from more senior design folks, because I think it would have really accelerated my learning and um, my growth. Yeah. So that's one, one thing. Um, and I think as well is just being a little bit more proactive in terms of learning new skills and not remaining stagnant because there has been so many shifts, like not assuming that learning a set of skills and then performing those skills in your day-to-day job are going to remain relevant and um, in demand. So that's something that's been really key for me as well is to like continuously be learning, keeping an eye on what's happening in the market, watching shifts happen, and then being having an awareness and evolving my skill set to keep my skill set relevant. Um, and I think when I started out early on, I assumed that, you know, what I was learning early on was going to stay consistent throughout my career. Um, and so I think, yeah, coming right out of school or starting um, out as a junior designer, just being prepared to have a lifelong lifelong investment in learning and um, developing your skills, like it never stops. Yeah, and I've heard this comment before, and I have the same observations, especially in the recent years. the 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 speed of like the change has been accelerating, and uh, I think one of the key, like one of the advice that I give to to people who are just starting out, is you definitely need to just accept the fact that you will you will likely change. You have to change your career at some point, like either like going to a different field within UX or maybe something else. But definitely always learning and uh, being open to iterating your career and your path and trajectory yes. Uh, yes. when the environment changes and the technology changes. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. nobody knows what will happen in five years, in 10 years. It's just like, yeah, so yeah. unpredictable. And I think in the last few years, with every next, it's like almost like this curve of the, the hockey stick of um, acceleration of the technology, the, 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 progr- the progress that with every next year, it's almost like several years of the previous space. It's kind of like really speeding up. I, I want to mention one other thing is that there wasn't really like social media wasn't Twitter. I mean, I was on Twitter in 2008. I guess, you know, that was already, I was already eight years into being a designer, but um, I see a lot of designers on Twitter, especially and LinkedIn. You can leverage, you know, a lot um, on social media being uh, really visible and leveraging your social media to make connections with people in the design community. I think that there's a lot of opportunity there. And so I've made a lot of connections with people through LinkedIn um, and, and there's a strong design community on Twitter. So I would say um, people who are just starting out, you know, getting involved in Twitter, having conversations with people, um, replying to, you know, Twitter threads where people are talking about t- topics around user experience and design. Um, and, really being like, uh, you know, a good communicator and um, somebody who has something to contribute and and an opinion um, on social media versus um, sometimes people will just default to asking for something if they start following a leader or potentially a manager or somebody who might have an opportunity for them. Um, You know, 
before you get to that point, I would say establishing a relationship with people on social media is another way to really help get visibility um, to you as a person and your design skills and your communication skills. And just um, it helps create a connection before you, you know, move into a conversation where you might be asking for advice or um, submitting for a job, uh, a job application to a job posting. I completely agree, and uh, I think it's it's a kind of it's a broader topic of building a personal brand mm-hmm. uh, as a way to stand out, and I think it's a good segue into the next question. So, I think it totally makes sense if the person that you want to like maybe like if the hiring manager that you want to apply uh, to to their team to are also active on the on this on those channels, right? In that case, like it's it's I mean you, with the time you can build. I guess, uh, a good relationship, mm-hmm. or at least somewhat good relationship that will help you stand out from people who haven't, who, who, who weren't doing this. The challenge that I've seen, though, is that quite often those hire managers or senior leaders, they are either super busy with their, I guess, work, uh, which has been like my observation, and they're not super engaged, uh, or at least they maybe initially they were, but then like they they lose engagement, especially with all the abundance of the information and the overwhelming number of uh, places that you need to kind of check in. And like now we have a bunch of Slack communities too, right, where people are yeah. of, uh, also connecting uh, in this industry and uh, other communities. So uh, I've I've noticed a trend that more and more people kind of try to I guess be more protective of their space and like time and kind of prioritize uh, where, right. where they engage, especially with all the kind of bad rap that the social media, uh, the social networks kind of have been getting in the last few years, that they're kind of a bit more mm-hmm. toxic and uh, really kind of, uh, I guess, abusing humans' weaknesses to kind of to for their own benefit. But I'm curious, like from the other um, strategies or tactics or like any tips and advice that uh, how would you really stand out today besides trying to build the relationships with those design leaders uh, through the social media um so i think that there's a few things that you can do and i think it really like it does depend on the role that you're applying for or that organization that you're interested in like like you're mentioning that some managers are more protective of their time um when i've been a manager in the past i've been so busy that i haven't had a lot of time to field a lot of questions or help people out especially if i haven't really met them yet um so i totally understand that uh so there's some other things that um a designer can do um so in terms of uh, creating a portfolio. Uh, I think that there's a lot of key areas that there are for opportunities for designers to really um, show initiative as well as show their product thinking and their design skills. Um, if they're not able to actually get, uh, you know, employment and have paid projects working on um, some type of a passion project or getting together with a group of volunteers and collaborating to ship a solution for some sort of like a charity um, or some uh, solving a problem that needs to be, you know, that needs to be solved that hasn't been solved yet. So showing the initiative to work on projects yourself, as well as like spending time learning on how to work with other people, because that's really key as well. And showing shipped work, I think, is really beneficial to designers versus having just a project that they worked on you know, that's more conceptual and more only focused on the design process. Can you get something out the door and either, you know, work with some engineers to actually create a live product 
or create like a no code app for yourself or design a website through Webflow. Like there's a lot of tools that are available. And I think if a designer is trying to find employment and they're not actually getting a lot of responses, that's a key um, way to go above and beyond maybe a school project. Um, so that's one thing that I think is really interesting and an idea that can be explored to, to stand out, you know, that's beyond, um, social media leveraging, uh, relationships. I guess like, I also empathize with, uh, senior folks, uh, kind of protecting their time more. So, and especially with the current market, when there's like so many junior people who are just knocking on your doors, if you have openings, if you don't have openings, like just too, too, too much, too much to, from what I've seen so far. Mm-hmm. So I completely understand why there, there is like a, I guess, a response, uh, a desire to kind of, I guess, filter out or at least kind of pause those uh, notifications, which makes it harder for, mm-hmm. for the junior and entry level folks though, because they try to reach out, but they just don't get any responses. Like, so how do you really get all those answers that you have, right? Or try to connect and build yeah. a relationship. So that's, I guess, the chicken in the next situation. So on the one hand, it's just like too many of the people in the market. And um, mm-hmm. I can understand the, the, the desire to to protect their time. But on the other hand, yeah, it's, it's hard to find the balance. I really like the idea about that even if you cannot find a, I guess, partner with an engineer to build something and launch something, that especially with the new tools, the no-code tools, right? When or like low-code, mm-hmm. uh, when uh, technically for some ideas you can you can go and uh, do it yourself, like as a one-person show. That doesn't really solve the problem of um, of these of one of the skill sets that lots of hire managers are looking for. How can you work in a team? How can you collaborate? Mm-hmm. How can you really find mm-hmm. these trade-offs and kind of make decisions when you work with? A gazillion of other constraints right so it's it's a bit different i guess type of the project like when it's like almost like a blue sky uh without like all the business constraints uh but i think it's definitely much better than just having a a, a fictional project that's that never leaves your case study when you have something to show that mm-hmm. and people can install and use as a good example if it's a live uh, product i think it's a great idea so this kind of uh, was a good segue into the portfolio, uh, like you mentioned about the portfolio uh, as a way to stand out. Um, what, like from your point of view, what's the good structure for the portfolio? What are you looking for in a typical case study, especially for folks who are just graduating and they don't have a lot of work to show? Uh, so how mm-hmm. would you, like, what advice do you give uh, your students, especially from that point of view? Because that's, a, a, I guess, as a essential step uh, uh, in mm-hmm. becoming a designer is really kind of getting this portfolio to the level that it becomes interesting for the hiring manager to invite you for a chat. Yeah, so I think I have a couple of responses, but I'll, I'll talk about the structure first. So um, I'll just talk about what we teach at BrainStation. And I think it's kind of, you know, standard for a case study these days. And then I'll talk about, you know, whether that makes sense in every um, particular case study or not. Um, so you know, definitely uh, we spend time on user research. We create a problem statement and a value proposition, spending time doing user interviews, um, creating personas, doing things like user flows and task flows, um, wireframing and prototyping, um, and then having a final, um, you know, doing more user testing if it's available, and then having a final, like, you know, polished design and 
a potentially a final prototype. I would say those are all things that I could expect to see in a case study. Um, now, do I expect to see those in every single portfolio that I look at in every single case study? No. Um, I think one of the issues um, is that I think sometimes we get stuck in this specific format of a case study and every single project, you know, the students or, or you know, the junior designer feels like they have to actually apply all of these steps to every single project that they're on um, and that they can't show work otherwise. And I think that that's not necessarily the real world um, that's not what we do in the real world at every, you know, on every project um, in a product company or in a, you know, on a website. So I would say, you know, be choosing which process steps are most important, which have the most impact, um, showing your thinking, showing your design thinking, your rationale, um, wh what the outcomes are, are really a lot more important than necessarily having each one of those steps covered. Um, so, but yeah, I want to see research. I want to see empathy. I, I really like to look at insights that are um, derived from the research. Uh, and then obviously having an understanding of the design process, understanding that this person can do sketches um, and wireframing and, you know, prototyping at the very least if they're more UX focused. But if they're looking at product design uh, or UX UI design roles, I would expect to have a very visually polished design as well. Um, so, so yeah, I would say that the structure is dependent on the project and I don't expect every single project to have, um, all of those elements. I would say, you know, having one to two really detailed case studies is sufficient. And then maybe having three to four projects, if you're just starting out, you know, in total in your portfolio should be, uh, good for me to get a strong sense of where you are as a designer and what your skill sets are. And then, you know, you could obviously increase that number as you developed more experience and, you know, more projects. But I would say three to four projects is what I would like to see to really understand who that designer is and where their skill sets are. And thinking from the level of details, uh, is there a limit to how detailed uh, a case study should be from your, from your point of view? Because I've seen examples when it's like, Super, super long. And yeah. I've heard feedback that is just like too much. And uh, some people prefer to have like a glimpse so they can forget, I guess, get curious to talk to the person and like, yes. this, like the details would go into the next step. So what's your opinion on that? Yes, definitely. I've seen case studies that are far too detailed, especially when you're a hiring manager that's really busy and you have 100 portfolios to go through. Um, I'm not going to be able to read all of the the text on, you know, a really long and detailed case study. So having some key highlights, having some key moments um, is much better to allow me to progress through. And I, like I said, um, I get to know you as a designer, get to know your thinking. And then I'm looking for some key elements to be brought to the forefront, but not having um, you know, every single step is, is, and, you know, too much detail, I think is detrimental to your portfolio. So my, um, preference is that there is some, you know, high level insights in a portfolio where I can get a sense of the designer and I feel like their skill sets are strong. I will bring them in for an interview and I would expect to see a slide deck, you know, presentation case study, um, that maybe goes into a little bit more detail, but it's like a conversation. It's not, I have to go through and actually read all the copy that's associated to the project. So it's a little bit easier for my, me to digest because it's being presented to me. So I, that's what I would advise is having one fidelity of, 
you know, information for your, for your website or your, you know, portfolio, however you submit that. And then having another like deck that's ready to go for you to be able to walk through your projects in a room with other folks. And uh, what about the format of the, I guess the first, like the, the, the high level uh, portfolio, do you have any preferences for that? PDF, web, uh, Behance or like any other platforms? I don't find that Behance or Dribble are like the, t- I don't think that, I think those are supplementary to a portfolio. So like I will go and look at those if they have design samples in them, but I would say I would expect a website or a PDF of some sort, like something that I can look at. Um, it doesn't always have to be a website because I know websites can take time. Um, so you've, if you have a deck that you want to send out with, projects that are tailored towards the role that I, you know, that's available that you're applying to. Um, that's more than sufficient. And then, yeah, if you have additional links that you want to include like dribble or Behance, you can add that as well. And I'll take a look, but, um, usually those sites I don't find are very uh, good for providing text and providing concept context, um, and text, like they're more visual. So. I would expect to see a portfolio separate from those two sites. Yeah, I had the same observation that they don't really, they may be good for like an illustrator or like a graphic designer mm-hmm. or like who is really kind of visual, but they're not as great for telling a story of uh, the process and how you you made those decisions. So I think it's it definitely aligned with my, um, I guess, opinion about uh, using those platforms for, portfolio, for hosting portfolios. Um, only the supplementary, uh, like, I guess assets, assets could, could, could be hosted yes. there. One more question I had on portfolio, and this is related to the, I guess, the contradicting opinions that I've seen online from like senior folks on both fronts. So it seems to me there are two camps. One camp of people, uh, like from the hiring manager point of view, they expect to see the end result, the visuals right away, and then the process is kind of secondary. Mm-hmm. The other camp is they want to basically be walked through the key pro- like steps of the process together. So it's kind of like you're almost like hand-holding them through the process and then you arrive to the end result together uh, while going through this kind of storytelling structure. Uh, so what's your preference on this? My preference is to see something visual at the top to draw me in um, so I can get a sense of your design skills. Um, It's one of the easiest things to look at and assess when you're looking at a portfolio. So the hero image at the top uh, does give me an indication of what to expect below. Um, Obviously, I would assume this to be like one to two main screens at the top, and then I would see additional um, fully fleshed out UI screens towards the bottom. But yeah, I prefer to see an image at the top to draw me into the project so I can get a sense of what I'm going to be looking at. Can you recall any portfolios that stood out to you? Like something that was really, that you were amazed by? Like what what was special about them? For me, the portfolios that stand out are the ones that have really strong visual design. Um, so I think, yeah, that focusing on visual design, it's it's an acquired skill, obviously. And if you're a generalist, it can be difficult to be, you know, really, really strong in one particular area. And so I don't expect everyone to be at that level. But I think, you know, really strong, strong typography, strong graphics, um, 
really interesting color palettes, things that break away from the mold of like the typical template. Um, I don't expect to see that every time, but those are the ones that definitely leave an impression. The ones that are very detail oriented where like you can just tell that this designer really cares about details. It feels very polished and very put together and like no detail was missed. Um, you know, it, it can take some time. I, I just saw a, a designer's portfolio the other day, um, and she's a senior designer at a company called Zen Hub. And she she has an amazing portfolio that just really drew me in that was very different from the typical portfolios that I had seen. Um, but she has really strong visual design skills. And so I think that's one way to create that uh, like instant emotional response is if you can do that through color, typography, different layouts and things like that, even animations, um, that would be another way to really draw my attention and, and make me notice you for sure. Uh, let's talk about resumes. So what's what's an ideal resume uh, for you from, from the hiring manager point of view? Yeah, so I want to start before the resume and I want to talk about cover letters for a second because... Um, I've had a lot of design. Okay. So maybe I'm old school. I'm not sure. I know some hiring managers don't care about a cover letter. Um, but again, because I've been uh, solely responsible for hiring on a small team before, um, you know, getting portfolios without and resumes without a, a cover letter, it just, it doesn't show that the candidate is as committed, I think, and is not willing to like introduce themselves. Like they may just be mailing their, uh, emailing every position that's open and I don't really understand why they're interested in, you know, this particular role. So I spend time looking at cover letters and I really, I don't think I've ever really seriously considered a candidate that didn't have a cover letter. Like typically their portfolio is weaker as well. So I'll still look at that, but it just shows to me that they're not as motivated and, um, it's almost feeling like it's putting more work on to my plate um, to assess them. Whereas if they introduced themselves with a cover letter and talked about like what they've accomplished re recently, why they're interested in the position, things that they're really good at, um, just, you know, even just a one to two paragraphs introductory, um, you know, page would really, really help. Um, so I'm a big advocate for cover letters, especially if you're applying through, you know, a job board or a job posting. Um, in terms of resumes, I don't have, um, too many, I guess, opinions around what the exact perfect resume would be. Um, obviously for a more junior person, I think like a one to two page, I mean, it, it should be two pages maximum, regardless of your experience. So I have a lot of experience, but I don't extend my resume past two pages because nobody's going to read that. Um, Really, I, I understand that there's a lot of people who aren't English as a sec uh, English as a second language, um, but I think that grammar and spelling, you know, can get a little bit messy sometimes. So I would advise people to put their um, their copy through Grammarly or one of the, um, you know, like a, a grammar checker. Um, so that can be really messy. Um, and it can be hard to understand sometimes. So it just it looks like they're not paying attention to the details. Um, sometimes it's not clear to me whether a project is a school project or whether it's a work project. And so I think clearly identifying that, um, something was a school project, I think there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I think that if I have to look to investigate and understand whether it was a school project or not is like, you know, again, creates more time for me. Um, 
so again, I think like typography and having a nicely designed resume helps. Um, It's not necessarily a requirement, but um, being very clear and concise, talking about what they've accomplished in past roles, using um, if they're transitioning from another role or another career, talking about how previous career uh, skills that they've applied can apply to uh, a new UX role, I think, is actually really something that can be leveraged. Um, and yeah, I think also including the different tools that you're familiar with or the specialties that you are focused in is also great, but you don't have to include, like, I think for many years we had the indicators that showed, like, you know, out of 100, we would have these status bars that would say, you know, pho- Photoshop. <laughs> 90 out of 100 or whatever. Do you know what I'm talking about? We saw those for a long time. Yeah. I don't think we see them as yes. much anymore, but um, so no, so don't use that, but you can just say, you know, Adobe Creative Suite, Sketch, whatever tools that you're using. And if you align your tools to the role that you're applying for, that's good, that's good as well. I mean, it's not always critical to know the exact same tools, but it helps. Yeah, the comment about the 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 percentage like the bars of this kind of how proficient you are in something is uh, like very dear to me so it was i know <laughs> i used to do it i used to do it so i can't really like yeah yeah i think i jumped on the same wagon like when it was like became like trendy because it's just like an, an interesting i guess from the visual point of view to kind of dilute the text uh like the, the just the copy and like add some kind of at least interesting element like from the graphics perspective but then, like a, a bit later, I was like, hmm, "What? Do, what does this ninety even mean? Like, what's a hundred percent? What does it mean? There's no really hundred percent." So then, like, I even wrote like a, like a, a while ago, they had a, a blog um, that I was sharing my thoughts on design. Uh, I was like really kind of explaining this questioning of the the, the point of this and like recommending not to do this because it's mm-hmm. just useless. Right. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting yeah. comment for sure. Question about the resume, like a follow up question. Uh, creative versus plain text, uh, kind of more data-driven. Uh, what are your thoughts on those two mm-hmm. different options? I don't really have a preference either way. I mean, I think if it's creative, it should still be functional. Obviously, I should be able to still see the information that I'm looking for and um, be able to, you know, see the design in your resume, I would expect to see it on the website. So if you want to get creative and, you know, brand your resume, I would look for that same branding on your website. Um, Plain text is certainly fine as well. But I think that there's a lot of opportunity to style your resume with type. And, you know, that's kind of a fundamental skill, I think, for designers. So I would, you know, even if it's plain text, being able to have some nice typography can help your resume stand out. Otherwise, I don't really have an opinion um, if one is better than the other. I think that they, they'll both be suitable. And do you have any experience working uh, with applicant tracking systems that uh, either strip out all the formatting uh, from the resumes or even potentially filter you out just because it couldn't read some of the keywords uh, that they're looking for? No, I haven't. I, I, yeah, I was working on a smaller team. I reviewed every resume myself. And when I was at Shopify, um, they have recruiters and the system would maintain the format of the person's resume in a PDF file. So it didn't ever get stripped the way um, you were mentioning, but I've heard of that happening. So. 
I'm talking about uh, like working with recruiters. Uh, I'm curious if you could share a bit more about how you, did you really, uh, I guess, establish your, your work and your process with recruiters because recruiters will never know exactly all the specifics about the job or like the particular role that you're looking for it to fill. How do you really, I guess, minimize the the lost message between yourself as a hire manager and the recruiter team recruiting team uh, who i guess their i guess their main goal is to really screen out and uh, feel like prioritize the the most qualified applications based on what you tell them you're looking for yeah, I actually have some strong opinions on this. I have worked with external recruiters. So I've had two management positions and I didn't mention this earlier. I forgot to talk about my previous work, but I worked at Shopify as a UX manager and I worked at X Matters, which is a much smaller company as a UX manager. And when I was at X Matters, um, we worked with external recruiters for the engineering team. They worked with recruiters heavily. And I found it a very frustrating exercise to work with recruiters because they just had no clue about how to hire uh, designers. They were used to placing um, engineers where they can just scan a resume for those keywords like you're talking about. There's no, they don't really have an understanding of a portfolio. Um, And so they were sending me applicants that were just completely not a fit for a long time. So what I had to do with them was um, the recruiters that were really interested in working with us and having a relationship with us and showing initiative to try and like learn how to actually source candidates. I actually walked through them through some of the things that I was looking for in terms of a portfolio, in terms of skill sets and a, and a background. And so I literally had to sit down and, you know, like did, did a visual walkthrough of the, of a portfolio in order to help educate them on the certain things that I was looking for from a designer um, and that did help. Uh, and then we, we, we found a couple of recruiters who, are, who had worked with designers a bit more. So that definitely helps. So that I think once they have more familiarity with hiring designers uh, or sourcing designers, um, it can improve. But I, I, you know, at X Matters, I never hired a, a candidate that came through a recruiter. I always hired through a job posting that we had posted. When I was at Shopify, obviously we have internal recruiting. It's much different. Um, the recruiters there are more specialized to particular disciplines within the organization. So we would have recruit internal recruiters who worked and looked for UX designers exclusively. Um, we still had to spend time educating the recruiters on what we were looking for specifically because there were so many different types of designers at Shopify that you know, a designer who would work in one part of the company wasn't necessarily a good fit for our team. And we had to just go back and forth and, you know, talk about why and, you know, how we were looking for these particular skills. And for this team, you know, that were a little bit different from a previous team. So it was like having a relationship, giving really strong feedback about the candidates that do come in. um, And then just being really articulate and having that relationship about like what you're looking for as they're trying to source candidates for your team. So I've had both sides. Um, I recommend internal recruiters more, you know, if possible. Um, But there are some good, you know, some better external recruiters. Um, I think they're getting more familiar with working with designers these days. And um, at Shopify, did you look at every single resume or the recruiting the recruiting team would be giving you like the short list yeah they would give a short list um so they would do an initial walkthrough um so shopify is a much more robust interview process 
where you have to actually, you have an initial call with a recruiter and then you go through a life story. And the life story is like, I think a 90 minute interview. And from there, then the recruiter will make a recommendation of whether they think this person should move forward or not. So that happens before we even speak to anybody. Um, So yeah, I, I mean, they, they would reach out to p- candidates and say, we're, you know, we're looking at this particular candidate, but there hasn't been, you know, they haven't come into the system yet. They haven't really, you know, gone into any of the initial interviews yet. But yeah, no, we didn't look at every single candidate. We had a, um, like a candidate uh, resource uh, application that we would look at that would contain every person that ever, you know, applied. And we could go in and look at particular candidates and see the people that were in the queue. But you know, we weren't individually reviewing every resume that came in for a job posting. They, they go through a lot and that's all the recruiters like filtering out um, the candidates and then presenting the ones that they think would be a good fit to, for our team. Yeah. And this is very common to larger and more mature organizations. So I've seen this a lot um, uh, in the industry. That makes sense, especially if you think that like those organizations would be attracting just higher volumes of applications. So the way to kind of organize it through like some of this, I guess, stepped approach with the screening, filtering, and really kind of prioritizing the the, the better fit uh, applicants and candidates for, for those particular roles and teams. I think it's a very natural response to, to this kind of um, overwhelming number of incoming uh, applications, mm-hmm. which I've heard sometimes mm-hmm. completely irrelevant and people still just keep sending resumes to job that they kind of have never done before, not not qualified at all. At all oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, I've heard about this. It's like ridiculous. I was like, why would you do that <laughs> from the candidate <laughs> point of view? But maybe it's just the desperation that they're trying to just kind of spray and pray uh, kind of strategy when they just like send mm-hmm. it to every single uh, job posting, which, yeah, uh, questionable choice about yeah. the, the, the use of time. And if there is a better thing that you would uh, apply your... <laughs> your effort to yeah awesome okay so uh one more question i had for you is about really also kind of for for people who are starting out and who are just deciding maybe which way to go and if they should go what are your thoughts on the future of the ux design and ux as a, as a kind of as a field as a profession and thinking about all the automation and machine learning and uh, some parts of the user-centered design process being replaced by systems so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the future of this profession, how it will change. And again, we're just guessing, so we don't know what will happen in yeah. few years, right? But just kind of your gut feeling. And what uh, people who are starting today can, I guess, do, maybe which direction they should choose to future-proof uh, their choice. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is a very... Um, complex topic. And I don't find myself, I'll I'll try and respond as best I can. I don't find myself really worrying about automation at this point. I mean, um, yes, there's a lot of, I think, things that are becoming much more automated or or, uh, templated, or there's a framework for, you know, something um, much more nowadays than when we originally started. Like, for example, at Shopify, they have a design system and the system, you know, is very flexible and scalable. So, you don't spend a lot of time designing individual components. You might build on the existing design system, but you're not actually, let's say, creating new buttons or, you know, designing uh, forms or anything like that. It's really, you know, there's a team dedicated to that and you're, 
you're working on that system and maybe contributing to that system, but you're not actually doing the physical act of creating those components. Um, so yeah, I think that there's more of that happening nowadays where, you know, there's a lot of frameworks that are available and the tools are getting faster and, you know, there's so much more knowledge available to us where I think we are going to, you know, we're getting close to a saturation point in terms of like the profession. Um, and is if we get more junior designers kind of, you know, into roles and into organizations, we're going to, I think, have a really robust like UX maturity across many industries. Um, that said, um, I don't think that, you know, that our, our jobs are going to be automated and design is going away because I think the key is to really solve more complex problems and to think about things more deeply than, you know, maybe if we were over here designing the UI components, we're offering assistance in the business to actually really solve people's problems and to solve business problems and to, to solve complex issues versus, you know, just designing like and pushing pixels. So I think that there's still um, a lot of opportunity for designers to actually assist in many different areas of a business or like, you know, in, in the market and in the world. And um, there's a lot of areas where design has not been prioritized, right? So even though we're becoming much more um, design focused in terms of, you know, experiences, like everything's much more, you know, feeling like it's more consumer uh, experiences, even in, you know, enterprise and, and B2B ex products, we can feel like they're actually still really nicely designed. Um, when I think about using like the government of Canada website, um, the MyCRA website, you know, that's a classic example of how poorly, like they're not executing user experience at all. They just had their, um, to, I was trying to change my address for months at a time. I was going, kept logging in to try and change my address and it kept throwing up a 500 error saying check back later. And it finally was fixed. And then I saw somebody say it was been down for a year and there was no indication that that was like, you know, it just kept saying, come <laughs> back. Right. And so I think if you go onto a government website or, or you have an experience that is really frustrating to you, you know, it really stands out, but it's like those, there's so many more opportunities for design and for user experience in so many areas, like outside of tech, I guess. Um, so yeah, my opinion is, is that we just have to evolve and we have to work on, you know, bigger and deeper problems. And, you know, you can work on the design system if that's what you want. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 it's more than that. Um, and there's so many opportunities. I think you can really decide where you want to focus. But I think, yeah, we have to take on more responsibility as a designer, um, help bring empathy to teams that we work with help understand problems more deeply um, and, you know, and then kind of move to where you need to within the context of the thing that you're working on um, and not be fixated on one particular area of the role. So just being adaptable. Um, so, yeah, I, I think those are my thoughts around it. I, I, I really don't know about, you know, automating um, everything at this point. I think computers, you know, and AI has a lot to learn. I think it would be great if we can just create a sketch and it turns into a UI for us, but it's like all the thinking that goes into creating that sketch first that we, we still need to, to figure out. Um, and so I don't see that being replaced um, for a long time. Yeah, I completely agree. The thinking part and the real kind of the strategy and understanding the, the people 
is a much heavier lift for for kind of for being automated than like just producing like design systems and UI based on uh, all this work that has happened already. So I completely agree. And as long as the the person uh, is really open to the flexibility that they need to I guess the mindset that they need to to kind of uh, adapt adopt uh, that who knows maybe like three years later the the whole design system is just like AI just generating right. based on the inputs right, right. Uh, or some other parts because I've seen also some usability testing is being somewhat automated uh, when uh, the system can just basically facilitate um, the as a facilitator like the session and capture all the data and um, sometimes they can even like um, ask prompts not as obviously it's kind of bare bones and very simple not as a human would do this as a qualified uh, researcher uh, but it's kind of I, I think like the, this uh, the boundary between what can be automated is is quite fluid and we don't know what will happen in a few years but the mindset of being flexible with uh, with how things can evolve in this field i think this should this should be a given for every designer and uh, it should prevent uh, us from being automated <laughs> hopefully we'll see yeah unless it's yeah. A, the terminator scenario <laughs> <laughs> right it's but it'll be too late by that point right yeah yeah if the <laughs> terminator shows research. up i think it's over it's over yeah yeah Awesome. Okay. So that's all the questions I had for you today, Sarah. I really appreciate your time and uh, being willing to kind of share your your perspective, your point of view on those key questions that uh, people have. And uh, if uh, I'm curious if you're open to connecting with with folks who are, who are looking for advice or who want to maybe mm-hmm. clarify something based on what you said you mentioned from, from this um, interview, uh, if you're open, where they can find you? Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm quite active on both platforms. So you can search for me. Um, my name is Sarah with an H and my last name is McVean, M-C-V as in Victor, E-A-N. Um, I believe I'm the only Sarah within Canada, the Sarah McVean, I should say. And uh, my Twitter profile is Twitter forward slash Sarah McVean. So that's what, what my username is um, basically everywhere. So if you type in my name, you should be able to find me. So yeah, you can definitely reach out to me, ask questions. Um, I have given feedback to a few folks that were looking for um, feedback on their portfolio. And I'm more than happy to give that. If you have something you want me to look at, I can give you some feedback and um, we can go from there. Excellent. And I will include the links uh, in the show notes as well. So it's easier to, to find. Uh, well, thanks again, Sarah. And um, I wish you a wonderful day. Thanks, Carol. You too. Thanks for listening. If you want to see more episodes and support this podcast, the best thing you can do is leave a review on iTunes and share with your friends and colleagues. If you have specific questions you would want me to answer, you can submit them on the UX Career website. Go to uxcareer.co slash questions. Goodbye, friends. <laughs>